All right, thanks, Mike. What a passage, right? Like, I know that you're excited to be here now. Um, <laughs> the wrath of God is being revealed. Uh, yes, thank you for being here. Actually, it's funny because I think the last time we had a, like a good wrath message, um, Gary was also gone that day and I had to preach it. So I think he's just scared or something. So he scheduled this mission trip. He knew it was coming up. But um, no, I'm glad to actually because uh, it, it ends up being really good. And if you're a Christian, then, then you know it's going to end up being really good. But, but I was thinking um, about wrath and wrath. It is kind of, uh, it's like this term that you're afraid of. Like if there is a wrathful person, you're probably going to avoid that person. And so the first person that I think of, not, and he's not a bad guy, he's really a great guy. Um, but I think about the wrath of dad on my behind. You know what I'm talking about? Like, did you ever experience that as a kid? And so like what we had, I know there's like, there's paddles, there's belts. And then for some of you um, that are that age, there's also switches is what I've heard. Um, But we had this paddle and it was like, it was really like, if you've ever been to a pizza restaurant, it's like the thing that they get the pizzas out of the oven. That's what it felt like. It was huge, like massive. Like it got the maximum amount of coverage uh, back there. And it was crazy. But I think about the wrath of my dad and, and any time that we experience the wrath of our dad, um, we deserved it. Uh, the worst thing that we could do is we disrespected my mom um, and then we knew that it was coming. Especially I was homeschooled. If my mom called my dad while he was at work, she was like, hey, this is what they're doing. I think you're going to need to come home. Like if he had to come home from work, that was the worst day Ever. And that happened a couple of times. And, and I had several brothers, so it wasn't just me all the time. There's six of us in all. But dad would come home. And so there's all these things that, that I tried to do to like get out of it. Like, is there any exchange that I can make with my dad? Any trade I can make to not get uh, this spanking, uh, this spanking. And so like, I'm, I, I, he comes in and I'm like, all right, dad, hey, here's the thing, dad. Whoa, you know that kind of movement. Whoa, hey, dad, 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 dad. <laughs> Hey, I've got some dirt actually on my brothers. If you would rather, this is what they said about you. This is a good moment actually, dad. I can tell you what they said. Dad, 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 whoa. Or I could just be an informant like forever. Like you just make me your informant with my five brothers and I will, I've got your back. I will watch out for you. Or maybe like you use flattery. Um, Dad, that sweater really accentuates your shoulders. Hey, dad, 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 dad. Scripture maybe. Dad, please deal with me according to your unfailing love and your great compassion. There was no exchange that ever worked, okay? Like any time like we were supposed to get a spanking, like literally nothing that I could do to not get this spanking. But I remember this several times, if not every single time that, that one of my parents spanked us. Afterwards, they, they would get really close to us and they would say, I hate spanking you. God, I never want to spank you. I don't like doing this. I hate spanking you. So I want you to hold that phrase, that that picture of a parent just who loves you and says, hey, I hate this. I really don't want to do this. I don't find any joy in this. Hold that phrase, hold that picture uh, in your mind for most of this message because it's gonna be really intense um, before it's not. It's gonna be really intense. So hold that phrase in mind. The, The passage that Mike just read for us, at least the first part is the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth 
by their wickedness. So it's being revealed against this suppression. Like that is the godlessness, that is the wickedness. It's this suppression. We are suppressing the truth. And so that word there that, that Paul uses, um, and you might already know this, suppress, it means, it means to restrain, to kind of hold down, to, to, to hinder the course of progress of something. And so it's kind of like trying to hold your dog back on a leash. You're suppressing its power. It's trying to get after a squirrel or whatever it saw, and you're holding this dog back, or it's like you're in church and you've got your toddler and you're, you're holding their mouth closed because they're starting to talk and, and, and scream. You're like, come on, shh, shh. And so you're trying to hold, hold this noise down, hold this powerful little being down. And that's what we do is we suppress the truth of God in our sinful nature. We want to hold the truth of God down to keep it from having its full effect in our lives. There's this guy, an author named Kevin Van Hooser, and, and he wrote um, this line. He says, every Christian, every Christian is a living exposition of the Bible, Every Christian is a living exposition of the Bible. What that means is that if you are a Christian, any one of us, and especially non-believers, can, can look at you, you Christian, and they're going to use you to interpret God. They're going to use you to interpret God's truth. The way that you're acting, whether it's good or bad, they're going to use it to interpret God. They're looking at you as like a, a pair of glasses, some lens to see what God is like. So we might be good examples of what God is like, a good inter interpretation or a bad interpretation. And so think about that. If people are looking at you to see what God is like, is there any truth of God inside of you that you're suppressing? Are you blurring the lines of anything that God has said? Is there anything in your life that you are suppressing or obscuring the truth of God? It's against this suppression, this blurring the lines, this obscuring and sometimes downright denial of the truth of God and his word that God's wrath is being revealed. So how? How do we get out of that wrath? Is there an exchange that we can make? If you're a Christian, you know, you know the answer and we're gonna get there at the end of this message, but is there any exchange that we can make to get out of that wrath? All right, so the definition of exchange, you're gonna be like, duh, we know what this is. But the definition of exchange is an act of giving one thing and receiving another. Yeah, you know what that is. That's an exchange. You're making an exchange. You're, you're giving one thing, you're receiving another. But this is really important, okay? When you make an exchange, like if you go to Walmart, you have to exchange whatever you're bringing you have to exchange it with something that is like the same type of thing. Like if you're exchanging a shirt um, for a larger or a smaller shirt or a different design shirt, like that's the same type of thing. So you can go and make that exchange as long as they're the same price or they have to be equal value. So you can go to Walmart, you can exchange this t-shirt for $15.97, however much it's gonna be. They'll give you like a gift card and then you can go get any other thing for that same amount. They have to be equal value. When you make an exchange, it has to be the same type of thing or it has to be um, equal in value. So let me tell you this. God's exchanges are never equal. God's exchanges are never equal equal because when I make a trade with God, when I make an exchange with God, I'm either trading his way of life, his way of life and what he says for my way of life and what I say, which is a terrible trade. That's a terrible, he has said this from the beginning that it ends in death. He says, your way will end in death if you, if you trade my way for your way. It's going to end in death and that's grace. I mean, he tells us what will happen. That's grace, right? That he tells us that that's going to happen if we go that way. We're either trading God's way for my way, terrible trade, or I'm surrendering my will and I'm trading it for God's will, which is its life. 
And so when you make a trade with God, when you make an exchange with God, it's always life being exchanged with death, grace being exchanged with wrath or vice versa. And life and death, they are not equal, are they? Like they're not equal. Life and death are, are polar opposites. They're exact opposite of one another. They are not equal. So when you make an exchange with God, he'll only give us something far greater than what we're bringing to trade or he'll give us something far worse when you make an exchange with God. Here's the thing. We and humanity as a whole have already made a trade. We've already made a trade with God. It's an exchange with God that got us under wrath in the first place. We have made some poor but deliberate exchanges. We've made some poor but deliberate exchanges and sometimes we continue to do so even after we're saved and we struggle with God's way versus my way, God's desires versus my desires. And this is why the wrath of God is being revealed this suppression and these exchanges that we make. And so Paul is gonna tell us three ways, three ways that we have exchanged God's favor for his wrath. And so you can follow along with me in these verses, whether in your Bibles or on the screen. Always easy to do on the screen. But this is what he says first. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for lizards, y'all. Do you hear that? Like we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for reptiles and animals and birds. And that word glory there, like in both the Hebrew and Greek languages, which is what um, our, our Bibles were written in, and in both of those languages, the word glory, the glory of God, it, it communicates something that is just, it is weighty. I mean, it has some, some mass to it. It is dense. It is thick. It has some intrinsic value it, it, because of how heavy it is, because of how much weight and mass it has, how much denseness it has. It has supreme value. I think of like a, a brick of gold. We have this solid gold brick representing the glory of God. And we've traded it for one of those things you have like in your preschool class. They have those cardboard bricks that you can use that like a four-year-old has stepped on. It's got like boogers on it. And we have traded traded this brick of gold for just like an image, like made to look like a brick, made to look like the real thing, or maybe it's not even made to look like the real thing. It's just this cheap exchange. We exchange God, the most valuable one, for anything else, which in comparison to God, the supreme being, the only God, is certainly less valuable if we make that trade. Paul says we exchange the glory of God for, for images, which are idols. Anything that we can, we can make, that we can see, that we can hold in our hands, and, and therefore that, that we can control. Can't control God. So we make something that we can control and worship something that we can control. And so we trade God and his sovereignty for my sovereignty, you know, for my power, for my authority. We idolize self and we idolize things. So let me ask you, uh, when we worship the things God made rather than God himself, uh, is, there anything, is there anything you feel like in your life that you cannot live without? Anything or any person? Is there any person in your life that if they were gone, you thought your life would just fall apart? Is there anything in your life that has a greater priority than God, than knowing God? Does God take first place? Do you worship God or things or people of your own choosing, of your own making? So that might be your phone. 
I wish I brought my phone up here. Your phone, you know, the average screen time is, is seven hours and four minutes a day that uh, Americans spend on their phone. You think about worship. Worship is devoting our time, not just this moment right here where we sing. Worship is, is devoting your time. What do you devote your time to the most? Is it your phone? Some of you get those reports all the time, and maybe it's way more than seven hours, seven hours and four minutes. I hate our phones. I mean, I always, I have the oldest one. I've got an iPhone 7, not the oldest one, but the oldest one that works, you know, because they're always updating it, and we always want to get the newest phone with the newest camera. They're always updating. They only last like two years now before they stop updating. Like, oh, you're, you're gonna, it's not going to work on this service anymore. You're going to have to get a new phone. And we worship these phones or your car. Your trucks, man, have some awesome trucks. I know, I know. You just, you just love turning that thing on from inside your house, you know. I'm just jealous, but. Your truck, your house, or your comfort, man, your whole life is spent just trying to, to get comfort and to set up your house the way that's perfect. It's gonna be perfect for hosting people. I just, just wanna get my house set up. You worship money, and maybe you don't even have a lot of it. You don't have to have a whole lot of money to worship it. You can just be constantly worried about where it's going to come from or if you have enough. Maybe you don't have a lot and you're just constantly thinking about money. How can I get money? Maybe acceptance. Maybe your idol is acceptance. You're always trying to get somebody to accept you or respect you. And let me just tell you this, and this is super morbid, um, but the person that you finally get to accept you, guess what? They are going to die one day and then you're going to die and then their acceptance will mean nothing. Like we can spend our whole life trying to get people to accept and respect us. Then you're both going to die. And at that point, their acceptance doesn't mean anything. And so we spend our whole lives chasing after things that are fleeting and that are passing away. We exchange the glory of God, the sovereignty of God for things that are constantly wearing out. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? I think because the father of lies has gotten into our heads. The devil has gotten into our heads and he tells us the same lie that he told Adam and Eve. Like God, God doesn't know what he's talking. He's holding out on you. Like if you would just chase after these things, if you, would just, if you would just get this thing that he said not to and eat it, man, you're gonna be like God. He is holding out on you. We start believing the lie that God does not want what's best for us, that he is holding out on us, which leads to our next scripture. Paul says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. I love that he just throws in a little hymn right there, you know, like it's super morbid and super intense. And he's like, the creator who is forever praised, amen. Love that. Thank you, Paul, for lightening the mood. Except it didn't work on you guys. The second exchange, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Some translations, instead of saying created things, uh, they translate it, uh, we serve and worship the creature. The creature, meaning the flesh, our self. We start serving and worshiping ourself. And so we deny the truth of God. And so what we do is we start lying to ourselves and we invent new truths according to our desires and wishes. We create truth. Live your truth. Hey, man, live your truth to serve our plans and our selfish, sinful 
ambitions. And so our humanity, in this exchange, our humanity becomes divine in our eyes. Things that pass away and wear out, they become ultimate to us. Our, our phones, our, our things, our uh, people that we're searching for their acceptance, they become ultimate. They become goals to us. And we start looking for things to affirm our humanity instead of affirming God's divinity. I wanted to satisfy my desires and not God's. But remember, God's exchanges are never equal. God's exchanges are never equal. When we decide that we want to live according to our desires, we think really, we think we've made a good trade. Like I can do whatever I want now. Like it actually seems like I got the better end of the deal. Like if there's a God out there who has a will, he has a desire for my life, for the way that I live. But if I want and he'll let me, I can just decide to start doing whatever I want and live by my plans, live by my desires, sign me up. Like a lot of us think I can do whatever I want at this point. Nobody's gonna convict me. I'll just, I'll make the trade. I'll make the exchange, sign me up. And we think that we've gotten a good deal, like a good trade, because now it's all about me. But he said since the beginning that that way ends in death. He's graciously warned us. He says, don't, that way's gonna end in death. It's not gonna be good for you. And sooner or later, we come to realize that that exchange was far worse than we could have imagined. And we should know this, right? Like we should know that when we live according to our wishes, like it's not gonna end well, right? Like our, our life experience alone tells us that. But man, even, even non-Christians are telling us this. Man, Jim Carrey, Brad Pitt, Tom Brady, all three of them have been recorded in interviews and, and more, way more than them. All three of them have been recorded in interviews saying something is missing. There has got to be more than this. All of them, have, they, and they have it all. I mean, they're famous. They have fortune. They have love. They, well, they have love sometimes, but <laughs> they say something is missing. Like I have anything you could possibly want. I can do anything you possibly want to do. And there's got to be more. And yet we still think like it'd be different for me, you know? Like we know that money doesn't make people happy, but like it could make me happy, you know? Like we, I could handle it well, you know? Like a billion, I was still tithing stuff, you know? I could handle it well. But the world, even non-Christians are telling us it's not so. And so I exchange God's truth for lies because I think that I can come up with a truth that better serves me. And that's where we get those phrases. Hey, live your truth. You do you, I'll do me. Or whatever floats your boat. Ugh, I hate that one. Whatever floats your boat. You know why I hate that? Listen to me. We are all in the same boat. We are all in the, it doesn't matter what sin you've struggled with or, or if you think somebody is just heinous or, or they have some weird perversion. Like we are all in the same boat. You're in the same boat as that person. There's only being in Christ or not being in Christ. You're either in this boat that is sinking. The boat's sinking. You're in the same one as everybody else. You're either in that boat or you're in Christ. You've been rescued. You're on land. But there's no other alternative. You're not like in a nicer boat or something. You're in the same boat. It doesn't matter what sin they struggle with. You're in the same boat if you're not in Christ. Whatever floats your boat. No, we're in the same boat. We exchange the truth of God for lies, thinking that they're gonna better serve me. And yet that boat is sinking. And nobody wants to hear that. Like nobody wants to hear that their way of life is a sinking boat, that their way of life 
is going to end in death. So what do you do when you disagree with somebody? Like when somebody's posts are constantly on, on your news feed, on your Facebook feed, and, and you just, you hate their ideology, you totally disagree with it, their political views are just, you just hate everything about it. So what do you do when you disagree? You just post one last nasty comment, like on their picture, their status, and then you block them so that they can't, they can't respond back. Boom, showed them. But we do, like we just, we tune people out when we disagree. And so Paul says this in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they no longer thought it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what not ought to be done. We have simply and sadly exchanged knowing God for not knowing God. Like this exchange here, it's not even an exchange because we don't even get anything in return. To put it bluntly, we've exchanged God for absolutely nothing. But listen, I get it. And I think you get it too. Because we do. We tune people out that we disagree with. News stations, we disagree so we just don't even listen to them anymore. We, dis- we tune them out. And I think the reason we do this is because that voice, one, it's telling us that we're wrong. It's telling us what we don't want to hear. So wouldn't it be, brother, just, just to not hear it anymore? They would rather just not hear the voice of God that is convicting them, telling them that they're wrong, that their way of life is a sinking boat, that it ends in death. So wouldn't it be better just to tune it out? Man, for a while in my life, and there was something that for me to overcome, it needed confession. Like I needed to confess to another brother in Christ to overcome sin in my life, but I did not want to do that. I knew it was the right thing. There's this voice of conviction telling me, hey, you've got to start meeting with an accountability partner. The book of James, the book of 1 John, man, they talk heavily about confession. So you know what I did in that moment? I stopped reading the book of James and the book of 1 John. I tuned them out. You know why? Because I didn't want to hear that. Like that voice was, I stayed away from those books of the Bible because I didn't want to hear that conviction. I didn't want to experience conviction. So you just tune this voice out. C.S. Lewis says, God's goodness is either the great safety, is just supremely good, or it is the great danger according to the way you react to it. And we have reacted the wrong way. And so three times, Paul says, God gave them over. He gave them over to sexual immorality. God gave them over to their sin, the things that they wanted, the things that they thought would satisfy. God gave them over. Therefore, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Do you find it strange that like greed, like, we probably all struggle with greed, like selfishness, you know? But like, I feel like it's not fair to put greed beside wickedness and evil, you know? Like surely they're on the same level. Are they greed, wickedness, evil, depravity, and greed should be there? They are full of envy. Envy, we're envious of other people, the things that they have. Sometimes we are envious. Murder, what? Should envy go beside murder? Like, come on, they seem like different levels. Envy, murder, deceit, strife, malice. They are gossips, Maybe some of us. Slanderers and God haters. Come on. Like I might talk about people a little bit. I might gossip, 
But God-haters, like that should not be in the same sentence right there. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. Is this what you guys feel like when you turn on the news and you're like, oh my goodness, people are just inventing ways of doing evil. Here's one of them. They disobey their parents. What? Should that even be on the same line right there? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. There's the warning tells us again graciously they not only continue to do these things but also approve of those who practice them oh my goodness and we can all think of these people like who invent ways of doing evil who approve of, they're like yes yes live your truth you do that that's good for you and we can think of these people and yet Paul says to us to Christians he says you Christians you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things we are all in the same stinking, sinking boat. Whenever you feel yourself maybe feeling justifiably angry, like we get angry at people's sin when people do wickedness in their lives, when they say wickedness is good, like we get angry. Whenever you find yourself feeling justifiably angry about someone's sin, be careful and check yourself. Because often the sins we notice most in others are the ones that have taken root in us. If you look closely at yourself, you might find that you're committing the same sin just in a more socially acceptable form. Okay, like some examples, like maybe, maybe you can say I'm not a public nuisance, like I don't get drunk in public, I don't even drink in public, I just, I just get drunk at home and my family can ask to pick up the pieces and gets the, the brunt force of that. Or maybe like I, I don't, um, I, I'm not sleeping around with people. I'm not having an affair. Like, or, or if you're just single, like I'm not just sleeping around with whoever I want. Like I'm not doing any of that. I just um, watch porn at, at home. Just a more socially acceptable form. It's not in everybody's face. I don't gossip about people. Like I really don't talk bad about people ever. I just share um, in what ways they really need uh, some prayer. You know, like so-and-so got pregnant and her uh, baby daddy is now in prison and her mom's freaking out and oh my goodness, they just, they really need your prayers right now. Like, you're just spilling their whole life and then masking it. They need your prayer. Not a gossip though. Or maybe you're not uh, prideful. Like you don't show off. You don't like talk highly of yourself, but you do always constantly feel the need to defend yourself. You're constantly offended. Oh my goodness, that is pride. And Jesus, he gave up every right to defend himself. On the cross, he went to the cross in silence. Man, why do we feel like we have to defend ourselves all the time? But like, I'm not judging any of you, at least not out loud. Which is another one. It's these same sins, just in a more socially acceptable form. We're all in the same boat for what Paul calls godlessness, wickedness, suppressing and obscuring the truth of God and the wrath of God is being revealed against all this godlessness and wickedness. He's given us over to it. You, do you relate to any of that suppression, any of those exchanges, any of those sins, struggles? Do you relate it's the wrath of God. It's being revealed against all this godlessness and wickedness. But listen, 
because here's the turning point, okay? It's been intense for a while. Here's the turning point. It's in the phrase, God gave them over. Paul says it three times. This is the turning point of the message. God gave them over. Three times, God gave them over. God gave them over. God has given us over. Giving you over, though serious, giving you over, though serious, is gracious. He did not kill you. He did not let you die. He is patient with you in your sin, not wishing anyone to perish, is what 1 Peter says, not wishing anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. He has given you over and therefore hasn't yet allowed you to perish. And that is grace. And so if you are alive today, If you are alive this moment right now, sitting in those chairs, if you are alive today, it is a day to respond to the loving kindness of the Lord. Today is what it says in Hebrews. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Or do you show contempt? What Paul later says, do you show contempt? Are you just flippant toward the riches of God's kindness? Are you just flippant toward his patience, his his forbearance, his patience with you? Are you just flippant toward it, not realizing that God's patience and his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We're just flippant about that. And later Paul says, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience. God has given over everyone to their disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all, is what Paul says. He has given us over so that he might have mercy on us all. God loves mercy. There's a Puritan pastor and theologian from from hundreds of years ago, and, and he said, God has no pleasure in the destruction or calamity of persons or people. He is a God that delights in mercy. Judgment and wrath, that's his strange work. Like it's not what flows most naturally from him. Mercy, mercy is the work of his heart. He delights in it. Wrath, he will do it. But it's his strange work. My dad, my mom, they would say, I hate spanking you. I've had to spank my kids. Unfortunately, they're not perfect. I've had to spank them and I do the same thing afterwards. I, I grab Charlie's face and you think, oh my gosh, how could you ever spank Charlie? Like, she's so cute. But I would, I do, I grab her face right afterwards and I look at, I get her to look right in my eyes and I say, Charlie, I hate spanking you. Like, I never want to spank you. God, his wrath, he will do it he would rather have mercy on you. That is what he delights in. So listen, God wants to make a new exchange with you. God wants to make an exchange with you. God has chosen to make an exchange with you every day, every moment. Listen, here is the exchange. Paul writes, he says, God presented Christ. We just remember this in communion. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by us in faith. That is the new exchange 
It's an exchange with God that got us under wrath in the first place. We traded God and his ways for my ways. And yet he presents us with this new exchange. He presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement to be received by faith. Christ is the exchange, man. Surely Christ took up our pain and bore our suffering. Christ gave us life and bore our pain, exchanged it for our pain and our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Christ by his wounds. We are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned indeed to our own ways and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That is the great exchange. And it's not equal. Like that, that's not even fair. Like we haven't done anything to deserve that exchange. God's exchanges are never equal. We've all exchanged God's ways, which are perfect. His ways are life protecting. His ways are life sustaining. We've all done it for my ways, which is essentially lawlessness and chaos and, and it's rubbish and garbage. And we thought it was an amazing trade initially, but it's far worse than we could have imagined. Life for death, God's favor for wrath, heaven for hell, cut off from the source of life. And if we're honest, we still struggle. I mean, yeah, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with trading my ways for God's ways or vice versa. We want to do things our way. But in this new exchange that God has chosen to make with us, in this new exchange, we're told to bring precisely, we bring precisely that old and dying way of life and we bring it to the foot of the cross. We bring our sins, we confess our sins and we're told to place them on Jesus. Like we know immediately that this is a completely unequal exchange. He trades us life for our sin and shame. Like he trades us God's favor for our punishment. He trades us grace and life for wrath. It's unbelievably great initially, but the more we mature in Christ, we, we come to realize it's far greater than we first imagined that he has taken all of our sin and given us life, life abundant, life eternal. God's exchanges are never equal. And in this new exchange, he has given us something far greater than what we brought to trade, than what we brought to place on Jesus Christ. So right now I'm gonna invite the band to go ahead and make their way back up. And I know it's a little bit longer today, but... I've got a response, a response time. Because God wants to make an exchange with you. And most of you in here, you might already be Christians and think, well, the exchange has already been made. I think God is calling us to make exchanges all the time. All the time, not just to exchange the wrath that's on us for his grace. He's calling us to make exchanges all the time, to surrender things to him all the time in exchange for his peace for his movement in our lives. So listen, here's some of the exchanges that we can make with God that he wants to make with us. So the first one, you might be realizing that, man, you are under wrath. You have not responded to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, so you're under wrath. God wants to exchange that wrath for his grace. Listen, the scripture's for you. 
Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Is that anybody today? Like you're under God's wrath and you need to make that exchange for his grace. He wants it for you. Some of you might be Christians, might not be, but, but you're struggling with sin. All of us do. You've got sin in your life right now, something that you've been struggling with or just something that you have not given over to the Lord, confessed to the Lord. He wants to take your sin and give you forgiveness. He wants to do that and give you holiness. Listen, this scripture is for you because you think that your sin disqualifies you from coming to Jesus. Your sin is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He was a friend of sinners. Your sin qualifies you to come to Jesus. Listen, this scripture is for you. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, whoever, regardless if they have sinned, especially if they have sinned, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's John 6, 37. And the verse from communion, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he will forgive us our sins. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Make that exchange today. Some of you are guilty even though you've received forgiveness from your sins, for some reason uh, you let the enemy constantly place your sins in front of your face. You let the devil constantly place your past in front of your face. And so you feel this constant need that you have to ask forgiveness. Every time you pray, you have to ask forgiveness for the sin that you did years ago because you don't think you've been forgiven because you still feel guilty. Listen, God wants to take your guilt and exchange it for a clean conscience. This is what he says in Jeremiah 31, 34. God says, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. God does not hold your sin in front of you. He doesn't dangle it in front of your face. So why do you hold your sin against yourself? He wants to take your guilty conscience, give you a clean one. Listen, I know I've got some friends in here today who are heartbroken and they are mourning some, some bad news, some sad events, some situations that have come about in their life. You are mourning, you are experiencing sorrow in your heart, it's coming out. First hear this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And he wants to take your mourning and turn it into joyful dancing. God, you take away clothes of mourning and you clothe us with joy. So make that exchange today. Man, some of you are anxious. There might be reasons for it, or maybe you don't even know. You're just constantly worried about life and you have this anxiety that is welling up inside of you. He wants to exchange your anxiety for peace. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heights and your minds, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Make that exchange. Is anybody tired? Man, I feel like we have just had like a, <laughs> a long season of life. It's only, what is it, February? Oh my goodness. We are worn out. Are you tired or burnt out? 
Listen, this scripture is for you. Jesus says to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. Make that exchange. Is there anything else in your life that you're going through right now? I'm sure there is. I mean, there's a host of things we always experience. Any thorn in the flesh. Listen, Jesus' words to you are, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. He's got grace upon grace to exchange. Peace to give, provision to give, grace to give. So right now we're gonna respond in a song. And if you have an exchange to make, like it's not an exchange with me, this right now is a moment between you and our God. If you have an exchange to make, I just wanna invite you to come and and to kneel before your father and exchange your sin for his forgiveness, your guilt for a clean conscience and exchange your anxiety for peace. Exchange your thorn in the flesh for grace upon grace upon grace. It's not an exchange you're making with me or anybody in this room. It's an exchange between you and God. I encourage you to come and pray and make the exchange as we begin to sing. Would you come?